Hello, hi, and welcome back to a new episode of Two Teaspoons of Positivity. The date is the 8th of August, and the time is 4.12 a.m. EST. I should have waited 8 more minutes, but I, I got too excited. <laughs> I, I like recording like very early, because it's, it's really peaceful, and everyone's asleep, so everyone is at their most peaceful. Almost everyone, at least half the world is, right? So I apologize for not being able to record and upload last week. I finally got my mom to um, agree to... Uh, I finally got my mom vaccinated because she had been an anti-vaxxer for the past few years. Even though she... I don't know when it happened. Like, we got our vaccines uh, when we were kids. But then with COVID, she was very hesitant. I think it's because of a lot of uh, because of the amount of misinformation that was spread. So it took me a year to convince her, but we I finally succeeded, and we got all of us uh, me, my mom, my brother, yeah, and the rest of our family. We got our vaccines. Uh, we got our first. We got our first dose, and it wrecked us. <laughs> Because it, it's a, it's a strong vaccine, and it makes sense because it's that's it just shows how deadly the disease is, because the vaccine needs to be that strong in order to like, fight it off. So I I got lucky I think because all I had was this really annoying pain in my arm, and that made me tired because I was just in pain for so long <laughs> but uh, a few others uh, were not were not that lucky they they had like a fever and they needed to rest for at least a good 2-3 days I recovered in like 24-48 to 48 hours but uh, that's enough about me so right um, so uh, this week this week's stories I, I compiled this week's stories and I noticed that a lot of them were baby stories and last week's last week had a lot of big stories so I combined the two and we'll be covering last week's big stories and this week's baby stories including this week's including last week's baby stories as well because I liked one of them <sighs> okay let's let's do this first story so, NYC's novel approach to 9-11 calls showed promise. Uh, since the month of June, New York City has been sending social workers instead of police officers to some non-violent emergency calls as part of a trial. Non-violent emergency calls would be um, maybe an anxiety attack or a panic attack or um, it could also range from some, something mild as anxiety not that not that i'm saying that anxiety attacks are mild just in uh, when compared to domestic violence and stuff like that it's a little milder so instead of sending police officers to solve domestic disputes they're sending social workers and data that was released this week suggested that the pilot is showing a lot of promise which is fantastic news i am so glad that the prom that the program was a success the behavioral okay so the program is called behavioral health emergency assistance response division and it sounds a lot like shield 
because shield is a strategic homeland intelligence and enforcement logistics division so this is called be heard which is a really nice acronym so be heard is the is the pilot program and it responded to 138 calls in the first month of the trial out of those 138 approximately 50% resulted in someone going to the hospital and uh, that is compared to previous traditional 9-11 responses in which 82% of people went to the hospital what in the heck? <laughs> I, I apologize for that strong reaction it's just that they went from 50 they went to 50% from 82% that is huge that is like that's 28% that's almost 30% I think 30 or 32% I'm not sure the data also revealed that people accepted assistance from be heard teams in 95% of the cases compared to 82% of regular 9-11 callouts that is interesting and that makes sense like you you would be a lot more willing to talk to a social worker about any mental health disorders that you or a family member is suffering from then you would talk to a police officer right so be heard is one of the many programs in the u.s experimenting with sending alternatives to law enforcement officers for non-violent emergencies that is great news i am looking i am genuinely genuinely looking forward to this becoming a separate agency like the fire um, the department of fire or the department of forest or something that receives federal funding and operates in all states, districts and counties. And honestly, the, I don't think that day is far off because I think it should be here by 2024, if not sooner. So it should, it could be here by 2022. Like a plan for that could be here by 2022 because midterms. And yeah, that's, that's the first really good story. I like that one. It's, it's about, it's, it's, it's long overdue. Anyway, next story. So, a conservation tool was launched to help species recover. For years, scientists have put much emphasis on how close endangered species are to extinction rather than how well they are recovering. In line with this is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's Red List, a regularly updated risk assessment of imperiled wildlife. This week, the IUCN launched a green list to highlight how close creatures are to recovering their original population size. That is actually smart. That is a very good idea. And it's, it's actually a great idea because it shows people how close some species are to safety and how people can help secure their future by putting in just a little bit of effort. Not, not more, not, not too much, just, just that last few steps. The metric, which uh, the metric for uh, calculating how close species are to recovering, took a decade to make, and has been used to assess 181 species. The California condor is one of them, and the bird is classed as critically endangered on the red list. But a green list status assessment found that, with ongoing support, its population could recover to 75% of its original size by the end of the century. Oh God. Uh, that's what in 80 years yeah in 80 years it could recover 80 years is nothing in I, I would argue that 80 years is nothing compared to like, uh, some other species like pandas uh, until they're 
recent breakthrough. It took so many years, dude. Anyway, um, it's good to know the results of our efforts against climate change and it'll help folks around the world from feeling like they are fighting a losing battle because they're not. By showing the numbers of species that are safe or about to be saved, we can help motivate people a lot more. Now we also have a statement here from Dr. Molly Grace of the, I of the IUCN. She said that the new metric provides evidence that conservation, conservation works and gives cause for optimism and impetus for stronger action. Yeah, that's exactly what, like, we're in agreement. That's nice. I, I'm, I'm glad that they came up with a green list. I think uh, a lot of it, I think a contributing factor the, to this could also be 2020 and how it almost made everyone realize how important optimism is for society to function properly. So I think we'll be seeing a lot more, I hope, I'm optimistic that we'll be seeing a lot more of s lists and reports that show us how much progress we have made or how much good we have brought into this world by our efforts and our time and everything else. Right, next story. Africa's largest forest reserve was removed from UNESCO's danger list. On the subject of red lists, Africa's largest rainforest reserve was removed from UNESCO's register of threatened sites last Monday. The Salonga, I sincerely apologize for like, butchering that name, uh, the Salonga National Park in the Democratic Re Republic of Congo is home to rare bonobos and forest elephants which have been subject which have been the subject of conservation efforts in recent years that is a huge relief honestly it, i i don't like the idea of people harming elephants this is this is a major victory for conservation efforts in africa we also have a statement here from unesco uh, unesco stated that regular wildlife monitoring shows that bonobo populations remain stable within the reserve despite past pressures that the forest elephant population has slowly begun to recover Oh, okay. Uh, I, I misread that. I apologize for that. So it stated that regular wildlife monitoring shows that bonobo populations remain stable within the past, within the reserve, despite past pressures, and that the forest elephant population has slowly begun to recover. Okay. So Longa was placed on the danger list in 1999. That is, what, 22 years? Yeah. Uh, it was placed on the danger list in 1999, owing to concerns about poaching, pollution and oil prospecting. The DRC has the DRC government has report, reportedly cancelled oil permits in the park. However, plans are afoot for crude projects at, at other ecologically sensitive sites in the country. Conservations, conservationists are calling for them to be cancelled as well. I am sh I'm quite sure that the conservationists will succeed because not because of um, not because I have secret knowledge or anything. It's just that renewable energy is way more profitable is a way more profitable investment than oil, and that is a fact that every con every country has accepted, including the Democratic Republic of Congo, because they are I think a part of the International Solar Alliance. Let me just confirm that. National Solar Alliance. 
Let's see. Mm, members. Um, yep. 16 countries signed the agreement, including India, Brazil, the and the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Dominican Republic, and others. So yeah, the fact that the government knows that solar energy is a way more profitable investment than oil, it, they just they they will uh, they will not invest in this. Then like no no country is going to invest in a product that is decreasing in value with each passing day. So it's a it's a home run. <laughs> okay, next story. Uh, Montenegro uh, registered its first same-sex partnership. It's a it's a weird name. I, I feel I feel uncomfortable saying this country's name. But I, I, that's how I've heard it pronounced. I sincerely apologize for anyone who's listening from the country who has issues with the way I'm pronouncing it. Uh, please reach out to me on Twitter and let me know if there's a better way to pronounce Montenegro. So the country received its first ever same-sex civil partnership and I googled it and apparently civil partnership is a more formal term for relationships and marriages, I think. So on Sunday, this happened last Sunday, which was a year after the country legalized same-sex unions and apparently the vote was very narrow, it was like 49, 49 to 51 or something. Honestly, I didn't even know that Montenegro had restrictions against same-sex relationships and I'm so glad that the country took this inclusive step. Good for you, Montenegro. And yeah, that's <laughs> that's just it. It's a, it's, a, it's a short, sweet story about how Montenegro is it's trying to catch up with the world. It's nice. Okay, next story. So, a US county banned fossil fuel infrastructure. That is big news. Like, I don't know if you guys, um, I, I don't know whoever's listening is active on 9gag, but for the longest, I, I remember, um, and I think this is still popular, but there were, there were a few years in which US memes related to oil just skyrocketed. Like, it was everywhere. And I think it still is. If you look, if you look for it, you'll find a treasure trove of U.S. meme of the U.S. sending military uh, forces in countries that are rich in oil. And not just countries, just locations that are rich in oil. So if someone has oily hair, the U.S. is sending uh, paratroopers there for some reason. Anyway, so in what was a first for the U.S., a county in Washington State has banned all new fossil fuel infrastructure, including oil refineries and coal-fired plants. Okay, so this might be confusing for folks who don't really know the US states, so I'll clarify this. The state of Washington is different from Washington DC. DC stands for District of Columbia. And I can't remember why it's called the District of Columbia. I do know that it's not the country of Columbia, like the country of Columbia does not have a district in the US. but. I realize, as I'm saying this, that it doesn't really make things any clearer. <laughs> so, in conclusion, Washington State and Washington Washington DC are two completely different things. I sincerely apologize for the confusion. I don't know why we're like this. Uh, okay, coming back to the story. In a vote on Tuesday, uh, Washington... Uh, no, Whatcom County. Okay. 
So the Whatcom County Council unanimously passed the measure which also requires the existing fossil fuel activities to offset emissions. Hmm. We have a statement here from Todd Donovan who is a council member. He stated that while we still have these dinosaur facilities already here, it will be more challenging for them to expand. The future is clearly in renewable energy. And he's right. There's a I feel bad for people who will have to switch jobs because of this. Not because uh, they won't get jobs, of course they'll get jobs. I, we are covering, we are going to cover, the next story that we're going to cover is going to address this particular issue. But the thing I feel bad for is the fact that these people have spent so many years working at like record-keeping record offices or oil rigs or as technical consultants and now they're, they're realizing that the entire industry is about to is slowly dying off um, I feel a little bad for them okay right that's the end of the story um, that's good news though uh, the fact that a county in Washington did that it means that other counties could follow suit and then other states could follow suit it seems a little unlikely given our relationship with oil but it, it's possible and there is growing evidence to support that it's it's the better choice it's the how do I put this um, it's a more financially sound decision and oil, oil like money trumps oil right I shouldn't use that word anyway I sincerely apologize for the digressions Let's go back to the stories for this week. Okay, so we have covered five baby stories. Uh, no, we have covered five big stories. And now we are covering five baby stories. Okay, so let's speed run this. <laughs> okay, so a report revealed the potential for, for the circular economy. So what this report talks about is essentially the right to repair. So the right to repair is basically... Um, that instead of buying the new uh, buying new washing machines or uh, new refrigerators every few years people should have the right to demand their uh, demand the people or demand companies to repair the goods that they sold so that it has two benefits one is that people won't have to spend exorbitantly high prices for newer models of the same product and the second thing is that it's good for the environment because they won't have to throw it away right and the third one is what this report is talking about so the third one is the circular economy so repairing household goods that get thrown away when they break down from washing machines to mobile phones or smartphones could create tens of thousands of jobs in the UK alone so this was this report was published by the Green Alliance think tank, which stated that approximately 450,000 jobs could be created in the next 15 years, in the if the UK decides to prioritize the repair and re repair and reuse of manufactured goods, and to establish the right to repair as a fundamental right. And that's that's the part that um, really excites me because the UK is an island country. That's 450,000 jobs in the island country alone. 
that could translate if a, if a version of the right to repair was introduced in the US that could turn into 4.5 million jobs and if we were to expand that to Europe and Asia if not Europe alone that could all that could mean 45 million jobs if not more like more jobs more money more everything <laughs> has called on the UK government to introduce legislation to accelerate the shift towards a circular economy such as the right to repair bill which came into effect in the UK in July. So yeah, if you're living in the UK you have the right to repair. But and you and I'm guessing um, this will a version of the right to repair will soon be introduced in other European countries as well. Oh right. And that was the first story. That was the first baby story. The second baby story is that Wales pledged to build 20,000 green social homes. So on Wednesday it was announced that 20,000 low carbon social homes are to be built in Wales. The government there say, said the houses would be available for rent and would produce more energy than they use. The proposals were announced by Climate Change Minister Julie James during a visit to one of Wales' first positive energy social housing schemes. Residents moved into Bridgend development in January and have since been re receiving negative energy bills. That's nice. So what that means, okay, so I, I, I dug a little into this and from uh, and during an election in Wales, I think some party or some candidate proposed uh, green social homes. So these are compact housing units that have like solar panels and rainwater harvesting and stuff like that and these will be mostly for people who are near or below the poverty line I think and um, some of them have been built which is why it says that residents moved into bridge and development in January and have since been receiving negative energy bills so what what they mean by negative energy bills is that the houses are producing more energy than they use so the people are being paid for you for just keeping solar panels and rainwater harvesting and stuff like that functioning and like by uh, just by living in the house you are making money it's not much it's it's probably like barely enough to yeah uh, alan king who lives in one of the properties with his wife Anne marie and three children said that the extra money that they are saving in their household has allowed them to spend more on healthy fresh food and save for their children's school uniforms and special occasions. That's so wholesome. That could, and that's just one guy, that's just one family. This is, and they're doing this for 20,000, they're providing 20,000 more green social homes. So that's 20,000 more families. That's, that's great news. I hope that more, um, more housing initiatives are taken up in countries around the world because I don't think homelessness should be I don't think homelessness should be something that people in this um, of this century should be worrying about it, it feels very old <laughs> it's such a zoomer uh, perspective right next story small collapse for the baby story no meat may attracted record numbers a charity that challenges people to eliminate meat from their diet during May announced this week that a record number of people took part in its latest campaign. 
No Meat May said that 130,000 uh, and 110 people, 130,000, 110, yeah, made the pledge this year, almost double the number that took part in 2020. The charity added that 93% of those who signed up have reportedly continued to reduce their meat and dairy intake. Research suggests that cutting back on meat and dairy is the single biggest thing people can do to reduce their impact on uh, reduce their um, carbon footprint. Okay, so I should uh, clarify this. No one's asking you to be vegan. No one's asking you to um, just do and just live on herbs and veggies. <coughs> the real issue is the industrialization of meat, meat and dairy. So if you want to, if you want to still contribute to reducing your, your carbon footprint and you also want to have meat, just buy local instead of um, buying store, uh, store bought or branded meat products. Try and find farmers or try, uh, yeah. Try and find farmers who are selling or um, yeah, who have like a small farm and are not connected to any of these uh, companies and are selling uh, meat products and dairy products. Because that's the main issue. It's not that people are eating meat; it's the fact that companies are companies have these massive factories that are running 24-7 and spewing a ton of carbon just to produce all that meat. And it's not like all of the meat is being consumed by um, the people. A lot of it is just sitting in freezers for rainy days. It, it's, it's like oil. <laughs> like We're producing a lot more than we need. So it's better to not uh, it's better to reduce uh, meat and dairy from our diets so that the factories don't have to run all the time. That's all. That's why No Meat May is such a good initiative. And right, uh, we are on the second last story. Research has revealed that big cities can be good for you. So big cities have a hard-earned reputation for being toilsome, transient places but research suggests that big cities can protect us from depression. A study of depression rates in the US, okay, a study of depression rates in US urban areas found that people living in big cities were less prone to depression than those living in smaller, more sparsely populated places. Researchers suggested that the social interactions that come with big city living, even relatively superficial ones, help people avoid depression. Hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a good way of looking at it. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really have much to say about this because I don't really know much about social interactions in the big city. So that's good news. Okay, now we have the last story for the day. I, I'm, I'm a lot more excited about this one than I was for the previous one because I, I don't really like it. Okay, so. The world's most powerful tidal turbine went live. A sea-powered turbine, which its makers say is the most powerful in the world, has started producing electricity in Orkney, Scotland. The orbital marine power's turbine can generate enough green energy to power 2,000 homes. The submarine-like facility is anchored out at sea 
and connected to the grid through an underwater cable. Orbital CEO Andrew Scott said he believed that tidal turbines have an important role to play in tackling climate change while creating a new low carbon industrial sector. I mean, he's right. And the reason why I'm excited about this is because I've seen um, tidal turbines in action. And I mean, it's, it's very uh, in tune with the Celtic Gaelic um, mythology. At least that's how I see it. Because none of the gods in um, in, in like Celtic Nordic mythology, at least yeah, it it looks like the people who created or who came up with this idea were blessed by <laughs> were blessed by Thor and Odin or someone similar. Because how tidal uh, and it, tidal domains work is that they use the power gener- the power the power with which huge tidal waves crash into the land and those those waves are then used to turn a turbine that generates electricity and to use that i mean you either have to be cracked or a genius <laughs> so yeah i i like that i don't understand how um, this works the submarine-like facility, which is anchored out at sea. I think it makes sense because, but I, I, I need to read up more on this because the the designs and the models that I've studied were usually built under bridges. And yeah, that's, that's just it. They were usually um, a lot more connected to the land and they were built under bridges. So, Ah, what am I saying? But yeah, this is great news. I think um, if this one can power 2,000 homes, then two of these could power 4,000. And we don't, we wouldn't need that many to power a million homes, right? And the fact that it's like, it's a submarine-like facility, that means that future versions of this could be um, could be created to be mobile that's that's fascinating and uh, yeah that's that's the end of the stories for this week and last week I'm sorry it took, it's a little longer but that's just how many stories there were this week and I think there were a lot more digressions as well but that brings us to the end of our segment two teaspoons of positivity I would like to thank the one person who's listening to this, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and now I am going to tune out. Bye-bye!